if you are here with us this morning, you, you drove in, you may have seen the sign. Today's message is about the villain king. Well, that's not real fun, but it's part of the story, and I thought it would be good to share about that this morning. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 2, so if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to that. We'll be looking at that, that passage. But the villain king, the one I'm speaking of, is King Herod, Herod the Great. And I think it would be good to know a little bit of background about King Herod to understand what was going on in Matthew chapter 2. Way back when, maybe 40 B.C., Herod was in charge of a small area in Palestine, or the Holy Land as we know it today. And he was put in charge by the real power of that day, which is Rome. Rome said, you can be in charge of this little area, and, and Herod aligned himself with a guy named Mark Anthony to stay in charge of that area. Well, over in Rome, there's all kinds of chaos and problems. Um, Julius Caesar was murdered by Cassius and Brutus. You may have remember that story from way back, maybe. Anyways, they, he was killed. Okay, Julius Caesar was in charge of the Roman Republic. He was killed. And, and Mark Anthony and a guy named Octavius decided they would take revenge on Brutus and Cassius. And they did that. And then it was going to be, over time, it was decided that uh, Octavius and Mark Anthony, they, they would fight against each other to decide who would be in charge of the Roman Empire. All right, It was changing from a republic to an empire. And Herod aligned himself with Mark Anthony. Now Mark Anthony, we don't maybe know as well as his, his significant other Cleopatra. So Cleopatra was who Mark Anthony was connected with. They had fights, they had wars and all these kind of things. And Mark Anthony lost. Mark Anthony lost. So King Herod had aligned himself with the wrong side. And he was in trouble because he knew that he was going to lose the power over his kingdom. But King Herod, he was savvy, he was smart, and he was ruthless. He would do anything to hold the power that he could. And maybe you know a person like that that will use manipulation, control, whatever it takes to keep control. So Herod did something that I never would have done, that maybe none of us in this room would have done. He took a bunch of gold, a bunch of riches, and he went to the island of Rhodes, which is where Octavius was, and said, hey, listen, I was with, I was with Mark Anthony, but, and you know I was loyal. I you know, collected the taxes for him. I made everybody follow your rules, all, all those rules and all those things. As much as I was with him, I'm going to do this for you. Well, Octavius was really impressed. He's like, holy smokes, that guy was... Well, there's a lot of different words we use for it. He's pretty bold, though, um, to go to Isla Rhodes, to the guy that could have killed him to take his power. And instead, he won Octavius over. And Octavius said, okay, you're going to stay in charge. You're going to be over this area of Palestine. In fact, I'll give you even more territory, even more land. Now, Octavius, you maybe don't recognize that name, but he became the first emperor of, of Rome, Caesar Augustus. Do you remember that name, maybe from the Bible? And you can imagine when Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the whole Roman world needed to have a census and be taxed, what do you think Herod, Herod was going to do? He's going to jump on that and he's going to make sure 
that it happened. Now, that wasn't the only thing that Herod did. Herod did other things. He, for political gains, he married seven different women to try to uh, form alliances. Some of them worked out well. Most of them did not. He didn't love any of his wives, except for one. One of them he did love, but he ended up murdering her, killing her, because he thought she was trying to put her son in charge. So the one woman that he did love, he murdered. And then he murdered two more of his sons that he thought was trying to take power. And then he, near the end of his life, he started like losing control. His body was shutting down. We don't know for sure what he died from, but it was a horrible disease. He had worms, he had intestinal issues, he had all kinds of issues. He screamed out one time in his pain, and his son that he had thrown into prison in the basement of his palace heard the scream and said, oh, my dad died. Sweet, I can get out of here. Paid a bunch of money to the guards to bribe them to let him free. Well, Herod heard that he had done that, and he killed his third son. So right shortly before his death, killed his third son. So this guy is ruthless. He was terrible. He was not Jewish. He set up a, a whole new priestly system to, to be in charge of the temple. He, he just did everything different. And he knew no one liked him. So one of the most famous stories that historians recall about Herod was when he was about to die, he, he rounded up a bunch of noblemen from that time and put them all in an amphitheater, and he gave strict orders. The day that I die, all these people are to be killed. Because he knew that people would not cry for him, would not be mourning for him, but at least if all these other people died, people would be mourning when he died. Now, we, we know that that order, while it was given, was never carried out. And so those noblemen walked free. But you can understand maybe a little bit from this story about King Herod, this guy was wicked, he was evil, he was a villain, he was a bad dude. And in charge of his little kingdom of the world, no one was going to take that away from him. He would be king. Today's message is really not so much about King Herod, the villain king, it's about who will be king. Who will be king of us? Who will be king of our lives? Who will be king over all? Now, I can just, I'm going to give you a, a little, little heads up. Jesus will be king in the end. It's, it's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. What's going to happen in between now and then, though? What will happen in our own hearts? What will happen in this world? Now, you could read the newspaper and you could watch television. You could say, well, I don't know if Jesus is in charge. Well, I can say, maybe if you would have lived in Palestine in the Holy Land at that time, maybe you probably wouldn't have thought God was in charge. But I can tell you right now, King Herod is a bit player, a small fry. He is nothing compared to what was happening in a stable, in a manger, and all that kind of thing. And I would invite you to think about this morning, who will be king, starting with your own life. So, um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 this morning. I would invite you to turn to that. There will be some verses on the screen, but not all the verses will be on there. So, I, I hope that you might open up God's word to that. And the, the question we'll be having this morning is, who will be, who will be king? And my, my hope is that, man, my goodness, I hope Jesus becomes king of my life. 
even more than it is right now. I hope that might be the case for you as well. Herod was a real person. I'll, I did, when I was looking into who he was, it, I, like National Geographic and other sources like that, it's not disputed at all that Herod the Great was a real king. It is not in dispute as well that Jesus was a real character. The only thing that changes though, and that, so no one will dispute those, those facts. What will be de- asked though, what will be thought about is, who is going to be king? Is he living, is he in charge of our lives today? That's really what is in question. When Jesus arrived on the scene, King Herod, and as we'll read about later, the wise men, and then Joseph all had their lives completely changed because of who Jesus was. Even a baby Jesus completely changed the lives of people. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus arrives in the lives of people, things will be different. Maybe like Cindy's story that we heard about Charlie. That peace, maybe that's what will happen in someone's story. Maybe what they do, what they think about, Certainly what they care about, it begins to change. In your program today, there's a few different spots you might want to use to fill in and maybe help you recall, remember, or follow along with what's going on. But the first one is who is, or sorry, who has control? Who has control? So if I read Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now, from what you just heard, from what I told you about King Herod, was he interested in worshiping this new king? If he would kill his own wife and at least three of his own children, his own sons, was he interested in worship that morning or that evening? Probably not. King Herod, it says, was disturbed. The word there, troubled, is Tarasso. It means to be suffering from emotional or psychological problems. Do we think Herod had psychological problems? Probably. And all of Jerusalem with him as well. When, when things are wrong, it can deeply trouble us. Have you ever had, maybe not King Herod's issues, but have you ever had that, that thing that kept you up at night? That uncontrolled situation, that unresolved conflict? Has this ever happened to you where you're like, oh my goodness, this cannot be solved? This is what happens, doesn't it? Isn't real life a little bit like that? Where there's uncontrolled things going on and we're like, how is this going to work out? Well, 
if you're like Herod, you do whatever it takes to get control back. If people are trying to take your throne, you kill them. If you're not King Herod, but you're living in this day and age, maybe we can't kill people, but we do other things, right? We do things to control our situation to make sure things will go our way. There's, maybe we're not King Herod, but there's a, isn't there, if we're honest, a little bit of King Herod in each one of us where we want things to be a certain way? The first thing, if we are to make Jesus control, in, in, king of our life and in control, is who is in control of life? We might ask ourselves, who is in charge? And the Bible has a lot to say about worry, about things that are out of our control. I'd like to read with you just some of these verses that you might find. The first verse is, will be on the, on the screen. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. In the context of worry and concern, in the context of not having enough to wear, not having enough to eat, he says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. But there's other verses in the Bible. And if you're dealing with concern, if, you're, if you have anxious thoughts, if Tarasso, that, that deeply disturbed, is going on, these verses might be good to jot down the reference at least to remind yourself of what God has meant to do. 1 Peter 6, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. John 16, says, In this world there will be trouble. There will be trouble. Do I need to convince you that there will be trouble? Probably not. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God in his wisdom, God in his strength, God in how he operates, delivers us through trouble, not from trouble. He on purpose maybe even allows trouble to come our way because that's when we can start identifying who has control. Do we really honestly believe we have control over the circumstances that are going on in our lives? There's so much we don't have control over. Think about even what God did with his son. Jesus came on earth. Bethlehem is five miles, five miles from Jerusalem. A one-hour walk, maybe, a brisk walk, could take you from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. God put his son in Bethlehem, five miles from a crazy king. And God knew that it would, he would kill him if he had a moment, he had a chance. But he protected him through that. But there is also, we know in the future, he wouldn't protect him from everything. Maybe this is an example of God is in control. Will we put him in control of our lives? For Jesus Christ to be king of our lives, we must first give him control. The next thing we might need to do is we need to act with wisdom, having the wisdom of God. So who has wisdom? After they heard from the king, this is Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 9. After they heard from the king, they, that is the wise men, the magi, went on their way And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they turned back to their country by another way. These wise men, these magi, these astrologers came from the east. We don't know exactly where they came from. Perhaps Persia. Nevertheless, they saw a star and they followed it. And a question I had to ask myself is, and it just popped in my mind, my mind, why are these men doing this? Why would foreigners from a, from a faraway land travel at risk themselves to give money, to give gifts, to give these extravagant things to a child king that will never be in charge of their, you know, their territory? And not only that, in verse 10 we read that they were overjoyed. They weren't just doing this out of obligation. They were overjoyed to be able to do this. They were happy to do this. My only answer that I can give you is when someone meets the real Jesus, when someone meets Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, it changes your perspective. It changes our minds. It changes our eyes. It, our world begins to look differently than what it does right now. We see things from his perspective. We see the hearts of people for what they are, eternal creations that God wants to use for his glory. That the world might ask us, why would we bother coming to, to Bethany Church on, on a morning like this? Just stay home. God has everything. Why do you need to put in your offering? And what I would say is, for those of us that have met the real Jesus, we start saying, well, it really does make sense. He's the one that ties it all together. He's the one that brings it. So God gives wisdom to his people to, to act on what we understand. He gives wisdom through his word. He gives wisdom through life that is happening that the reasonable thing would be to make him king. The reasonable thing would be to do these things. Consider for a moment who you consider wise. Who's the wisest person that you might know? Take a little inventory, if you will. Who's wise in your own mind? Perhaps their IQ is really high, or they have a, a number of degrees. They've, they've got certificates that prove that they are smart. But I would argue that the wise men are considered wise men, and we might be considered wise ourselves because we might act along with what we know. James 3.13 says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These men that we read about, the Magi, they studied the stars. Maybe they had documents. Perhaps they, they grew up in a, in a situation in Persia where they had things passed down from Daniel the prophet who may have lived there at the same time. We, we don't know for sure. But they had information enough that they knew what they should do and they acted on the information that they had. 
As believers, that is our same duty, that is our same responsibility. Maybe you might look at your Bible. You have this Bible maybe at home or in front of you, and there's a lot in there, and we don't know everything that's in there. But there's certainly enough written that we understand that we know what we might do next. Wisdom and making God king, making God king in our lives, is acting with wisdom, acting on what we do know out of this part right here. Now, we could certainly all learn more. We could certainly all dig into this a little bit more. Maybe the new year will bring some new insights and wealth of information and knowledge. But wisdom will come to us when we start acting on that what we know. So to make Jesus king, we might first give him control. Not just might, we will. We'll give him control. We'll let go of the things we're hanging on to. We'll give him control. And then we'll start acting with wisdom. We'll start acting on the things that we know are from him. The last character I'd like to look at is Joseph. And this man of faith that I believe is in Joseph. Who will we believe is the last line in your program there. Who will believe? When they had gone, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled through the Lord, who had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. Joseph is a central character in this Matthew chapter 2 account of Jesus' birth. And he's unique. He, he's unique in that God speaks to him two separate times in dreams. God speaks to him to act on, on his behalf. And Joseph is maybe unique in this in that he has got tremendous faith. Tremendous faith in who Jesus is that he was supposed to to follow along with these words that he was being given. And the message that we're thinking about today from Matthew chapter 2, will we take that same step of faith with the amount of information that we have? It's, it's reasonable, but there still will be a step of faith. Will we take that next step in the journey to make Christ our king? Joseph believed, but to be fair, to be clear... It didn't work out real easy for him. Think about what it would have been like to be Joseph. The first time a dream came to him was in, in Matthew chapter 1. You can, read, you can read about it there. He was told to keep Mary as his wife. Now Mary was going to be having a baby by God. How do you explain that to your family? How do you, like if your niece would come to you at Christmas, you know, the Christmas gathering, everybody's unwrapping gifts and, oh, by the way, I'm going to have a baby because of God. What is your first thought? Right? That's awesome, right? Uh, no, you're not thinking that. What are you thinking? You're crazy. What if it's your, you know, I don't know, some story you read about in the paper, those people over there, and they, they claim they're having a baby by God. It, it, it's... By faith, he had to take a step into, okay, I'm going to take this Mary and this baby on. It's a different kind of faith that some people are able to have. And that's what Joseph had. And then in the middle of the night, 
He knows Bethlehem. He knows where he's living. He's apparently got a house by now. Um, the, the angel comes in and says, you should go to Egypt. You should leave tonight. You should get out of here tonight because it's not safe here anymore. That's a big step, right? If someone asked, if, if you were someone to come to you in a dream tonight and said, I want you to go to Mexico tomorrow, would you want some other information to know it's the right thing to be doing? I, I mean, I, I don't even have a trailer. Uh, I got to get a, you know, what, what do you do if you need to move? You know, we w- I don't know if I would, I hope I would, if God would give me a message, I know I would live by faith. I would try to live by faith, but let's be honest, would we do what Joseph does? Joseph's different than us, but I can see in him some things I want to be. I want to have that faith. Maybe I don't have it yet, but I would like to have that faith where if he would come to me and say, Joe, I want you to do something great. You're never going to believe this. But I want you to just step out and do this. And we remember Joseph, and we remember Matthew 2, and we remember the story and say, man, that is a good way to live. With Jesus in charge of our life, with him king. So I don't know, I don't know if I'm the best one to do this, but I, I'm going to do my best. And there's a verse that comes to mind when I want to think about what I might do next in my faith. It's in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Maybe today, one of us is not living to the full extent of what we know faith in Christ could be. But all we have to do is look back to our own history to know what the next step might be. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, when you asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what was going on in that moment? Did you know all the facts? Do you understand everything that went with it? Probably not. But you knew this was the next right thing to do. By faith, that's what we might do in our faith journey. We might take the next step. We look back to our history and say, I took a step of faith then. I'm going to take a step of faith now. Later on in Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in Christ all fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been made complete in Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. If I could circle back to where we started, Herod needed to have control of everything. The person that believes in Jesus, that is our growing, vibrant relationship with Christ, with God, says, I'm going to put you in charge of these things. We might study God's word and we might have wisdom, but then we act on what we understand. And finally, what might we do? We'll trust in the Holy Spirit and when he asks us to take steps of faith, we might do that. So to make Jesus Christ our king, we give him control, we act on what he shares with us, we ask for wisdom, and then we believe, we take a step of faith. Matthew chapter 2 is the story of the happenings around Jesus' birth. And it, it tells us so much about how God might work. Our world revolves around control, right? Controlling over things. To make Jesus king means to give up control. 
right now there's information around like crazy. Like if, if you go online, the internet, whatever, there's more information about than ever needed before. But wouldn't it be nice to be around people that have wisdom, that act on what they believe? That's who I want to be. I hope that's what Bethany is full of, is people that are acting on what we say we know. And then finally, it's, it's taking a step of faith, going outside of maybe, I don't know, what's normal? I don't, what is normal anymore? We don't know. Um, stepping out of what people sort of expect because we say, I will believe by faith that while it doesn't necessarily make logical sense in God's kingdom, it makes all the sense in the world. To make Christ the king, that would be a good thing. There's a, there was a villain king back in the day, and if you think about it, in some ways, if we don't make Christ the king, haven't we sort of put the wrong person in charge? Like, Caesar Augustus back in the day left Herod to be in charge of Palestine, and man, do you really want anybody but Jesus to be king of the things that matter most in your life? If, if you have a child or a grandchild, who do you want in charge of that child? Our situation here in our communities, who do you want in charge of them? Can we give those situations over to God? I would invite us all to do those kinds of things, to turn those things over to him and make Christ the king over all of that. I'm glad that we don't have to guess about who our king can be. Our king can be Jesus. Let's pray and and invite him to do that just for us right now. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we had to look at your word. Matthew chapter 2 is an amazing story of how you worked through through an evil, evil man in King Herod to accomplish your good work. And you still do great things today through those that are not seeking after you, but you use it anyways for your glory. I pray that we would be the ones that would make you the king, that would act with, you know, with wisdom and, and take steps of faith. And we ask that you, even this Christmas season, over the next few days, you help us to live out these things that you've commanded us. In Jesus' name, amen.